There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi everybody, my name is Louis Strong and welcome back to season two of Headstrong a podcast where I sit down with a variety of well-known individuals in the public eye to talk about their life, their careers, but most importantly, their struggles and vulnerabilities to hopefully get you on a path to becoming headstrong. As you know, this series is a Rugby World Cup special and I have partnered with Restarts Rugby, a great charity. I hope you enjoyed the first episode and you also got to listen to Damien Hopley, Group CEO of Restart Rugby and the Rugby Players Association last week. This week, I sat down with Welsh rugby player Alex Cuthbert. Alex has had a great rugby career to date, but not without a few hiccups here and there. And at the beginning of the 2018 season, Alex moved out of Wales and signed for Exeter, which made him unavailable to play for Wales again and at this Rugby World Cup. Not only did we talk about this, but we also talked about a few other experiences in his career where he was left in a very fragile mental state. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for taking part in the podcast. Really appreciate it. And it was actually so refreshing and uh, easy to communicate with you and kind of get you on board on the podcast. So thanks for thanks for messaging the Instagram page as well. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, it's, um, just wanted to see you know what what you're about and um, wanted to get involved and you know just sort of see what um, what Headstrong was about. And like I said, it's, it's good to be involved. I'm glad you you know made your effort to come up and see me in Exeter. So what what actually drew you to the page when I when I followed you first? Well, obviously, I popped up as a follower and. Um, I've been doing. We've been doing a lot. Obviously, talking about um, mental strength and stuff in training, and 
um, we were actually, myself would, and um, a partner of mine would uh, design an app and we were sort of going towards that mental uh, well-being and fit, you know, fitness and strength and, and whatnot. And um, I just thought it might, it might be a good idea, you know, get a bit of exposure myself and maybe we could help each other and, and, and I'm glad it's worked out, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. I mean, whilst this podcast is definitely about uh, Alex Cuthbert, you and your experiences and therefore your, your, your kind of mental strength and stuff, to hopefully help the listeners I can't help but kind of start with how there's been quite a lot of Welsh press recently uh, notably with the Osprey Scarlets Gareth Thomas and Rob Howley uh, you know it's it's quite rare for that that will to have all come at once I suppose um, I think in particular my listeners would kind of like to know your thoughts on whether you know if all this press might hinder the boys out in Japan whether this might dominate some of their thoughts um, no, I don't. I don't think so at all. I think obviously with the situation with Rob Howley, obviously flying back and Stephen Jones flying in, you know, it's quite short notice in terms of playing on Monday. But these boys have been preparing pretty much since the last World Cup we had, you know, f- four years ago, and the amount of effort chatting to them what they've put in, you know, over the last five six months in terms of since the the Grand Slam, it. it they're you know they're, they're so mentally strong now nowadays you know the rugby players that that at the end of the day it's, it's what happens on the field so anything you know externally they just get rid of and they do that you know it's all about the 80 minutes and you know hopefully you know Monday they, they put a good show against Georgia and you know put it all to bed and you know that no one would probably talk about it then yeah exactly and without going into specifics at all obviously we wish Gareth all the best on with you know everything that he's going through at the moment and all, all the support from the rugby community as well oh yeah definitely you know Wales are you know, we're a small rugby um, country, but you know we're all, we we get behind. You know, when you know tragedies like this sort of happen, or or you know when players need need help, and you know we we give our best to him, and you know moving forward. So let's turn to the mercurial Alex Cuthbert. Let's have a look at your career. You're still only 29 years of age. What do you think your younger self would say to you if he could look at you now? You know, when you were um, back at Newen. Back at Newen. Um, probably work harder in school no um <laughs> no because it's funny because in school I always wanted to be a sports professional I didn't know what sport I had it in my mind I, I tell my parents every day like lived on a farm I used to be a farm I wanted to be a farmer until I was about 12 and then I realized you know there's more than farming and um sport just took over and my, my parents literally tried to get me involved in every bit of sport and um I guess that hunger and that, that desire just wanting to win absolutely everything I did like whether it was just a football game at school I'd have to win and then it just sort of progressed into football cricket rugby you know and rugby seemed to be the sport that sort of I guess took to me more than I took to it really and I guess I had a chance and I took it so so you played for Hartbury College and Cardiff Met you just kind of talked about it there, but what really cemented that love for rugby? Because obviously you had that competitive drive, but what was it that you chose about rugby that you really thought, this is where my, I can see my career going? Um, I think I was at Hartbury. Because um, I played rugby, you know, at younger ages with my friends at clubs, and I'd always be that, I just want to get the ball and just try and beat, you know, beat every player on the field. You know how it is at kids' rugby? And I sort of just kept doing that and doing that. And then at Hartbury, I, I guess... In my second year, I just started playing a bit more rugby. The Sevens, I think, was the one that sort of opened the door for me where I got invited to play in the summer for a team called uh, Marauders. Played for them and just, I guess I was just doing what I was doing when I was a kid, just getting the ball and hopefully, you know, 
um, being the fastest on the field and running around and scoring tries. And I guess that opened a few doors. Um, and then I had, you know, I had quite good people around me, like my parents had good coach with that Marauders and, and at Harper as well. People like Sean Lynn and people that, you know, put me into the right right doors. And I guess I just took them when they were there. So How old were you there. when you made that decision? Um, or when, when, you know, when you first played that with the 17? I didn't there? even, I think I was about 17, 18. Um, so quite old, really. Considering there are a lot of young players now playing quite young, but I, even then I didn't think I was going to be a professional rugby player. I just, you know, I was quite quick and um, very, very raw. You know, I hardly played many you know, um, 15s games, and I guess I was because I was playing with Johnny May actually and uh, at Hartbury, and I started off at like the seconds and thirds. Do you know what I mean? So I had to work my way up. I was going to say, when you were at Hartbury, obviously, Johnny was on the other wing as well. Were you good mates? Yeah, very good mates. You know, we were very close. I think I remember one game we played up in Filton and we were actually, Johnny played 12 and I was 13. Oh, nice. And um, we had a hell of a team. And obviously then he, I think, um, he ended up signing for Gloucester Academy. And then I had the, op- I had the choice then in my second year whether to stay at Hartbury or go to university in Cardiff. And um, not knowing that I was, you know, not wanting to be a professional rugby player at all then. Made that decision to go to Cardiff, you know, a bit of change. And I think with the Wales Sevens, who were sort of knocking on the door at that time, sort of, you know, sort of um, persuaded me really. How difficult was that initial decision? Because when you want to pursue a professional sporting career particularly... You obviously are such at such a pivotal age in your education as well, and you did make that decision to go finish your degree at Cardiff Met. But was that a difficult decision to say? Do you know what? I really need to stick stick with this and get that degree. I, I think it was a bit old school. Really, I think my parents were so I said sort of probably had me in line in terms of going to university before any anything sort of happening. But I was so I was never even thinking about being a professional rugby player, even my last year at Hartbury before going to Cardiff, and I guess. When I had a bit of, you know, a bit of love from Wales Sevens, Paul John at the time, you know, he said, come to Wales, you know, we'll be able to come to training and just see how it is. I was like, wow, this is unreal. I, you know, I, I took that opportunity straight away, whereas I guess at Hartby I didn't quite get that sort of love because I was so raw and I guess they probably didn't see so much in me as maybe the guy, you know, Paul John did uh, in, in Wales. Yeah, for those who don't know, Paul John was the Wales Sevens coach at the time, back in 2009, 2010, uh, and he spotted you in a game yep yeah, so where was that where was that uh it was actually at Twickenham um oh. so for the sevens I was playing for a team with Marauders again um it used to be indiv- invitational teams there were loads of premiership teams I think we played a team we played Harlequins uh, um and a couple of and we lost to like London Irish I think and a couple of other games but you know there were England coaches there Wales coaches and, and Paul John was the one that made you know a lot of effort with me then and that sort of persuaded my you know made my decision that's quite a big stage I suppose knowing that you had all these individuals watching you did that add pressure to the games themselves already knowing that you've got these coaches and scouts watching you for potentially your future as a professional rugby player it was was weird I just I think because I was so young and just probably a bit naive really I didn't know what the situation was I I just went out there and and played I was like wow I'm playing on Twickenham you know I, mean? I just got the ball and I just did what I, I'd done all, all that summer in the sevens and um, I loved it. I enjoyed that sort of, you know, that feeling of, you know, being that try scorer, the guy that they want to go to and, and, and be it. And in terms of pressure-wise, I didn't really know that I had these people watching me, you know, he has to play well there or, you know, I hope he does well. That we can, 
you know, picking for further competitions. So how did Paul take you to that next level? How did he approach you after, after that tournament? Well, I said, obviously, we mentioned um, me going to Cardiff Met and um, he said, well, if, you, if you're going to Cardiff Met, then you can come to our training, which was every Wednesday um, up at the Velo Morgan with the Wales Sevens. Um, and I think I was still in, in the under-20s as well. So I did a couple of sessions with the under-20s at the time. And then literally trying to do Union Sevens was probably the hardest <laughs> couple of months I've ever, you know, in terms of my rugby, um, doing all these fitness sessions, but then obviously trying not to go to revs on a Tuesday night, you know, when, um, <laughs> in Union. But um, I managed to do it and I, I got the opportunity when Paul picked me for Dubai and uh, South Africa at the time for the first Wales um, series. Which that's was, pretty, that's yeah, awesome. yeah, that must yeah. have been, how old were you then? Uh, I was 2009, so I'd have been just 19, but like, like What an said, experience. Yeah, it was just like, out the, not sort of out the blue, but I, I really didn't think I was going to get picked for the squad, and um, I remember, yeah, ringing my dad up for that, and he was absolutely buzzing, so yeah. yeah. You've got a good family around you as well, he clearly seems so supportive of you in every aspect of, yeah. you know, of your, whatever you approach, so that's really, a, that's great to hear as well. Yeah, I, uh, I wouldn't be here without those guys, like literally, the mouth... They had to sacrifice in terms of taking me to sessions and um, and everything and all the all the. It's stuff worth acknowledging in, in sport like that. A lot you don't realize how much time other people give up for you to be the best person that you can be. Oh, so it, it literally doesn't take you until you probably get quite a bit old until you realize you know what they do have to offer. And I guess in terms of, I know some boys you know getting a new family now with kids they actually sort of realized it then. Um, in terms of what their parents did for them, they're like, geez, you know, it does sort of make you step back and realise that they do an awful, awful lot, really. It's like a feeling of responsibility, I suppose. I don't want to talk about kids just yet with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, no, but, like, yeah, I know what you mean. Going into games, there were the that was the I felt more pressure of, um, you know, representing them and making them proud rather than any. I didn't care about anyone else. It was just about making them proud more than anything, really. So at that time, you got picked for Dubai and you were playing a lot of sevens rugby. And obviously, there is a different approach to a sevens game to a full 15 um, game. What is, the, what is the approach mentally? Obviously, we know the specifics of the number of people on the pitch and the, the minutes of the game. But what's the approach mentally? Because it re- both require different skill sets, but you're great at both of them. Um, well, I guess at the sevens, like poor John um, picking me toward, uh, for the sevens. Um, I think, I guess it was more of a punt on me transferring those skills onto the 15 stage and I guess being in an environment where they could hone those skills, you know, my my skill set, my speed, my fitness, um, you know, just that, that all-round sort of surviving a rugby game, you know, how physical it is nowadays. And I guess that, that bit I, I, th- I struggled with definitely in the first couple of years of 15s. But in terms of my speed and like I've transferred that quite well into my first um, couple of years in in, in fifteen. So you had the raw physical ability, but was there a different approach? You know, when you went out on the pitch, or was it just game by game mentally saying, "I'm going to go up there and I'm going to be the best," like you said? Yeah, literally, you you, you have to think that I was I was going in co- games real confident, like I wanted to get a touch early doors, as you know, beat a defender straight away, and then I'm. I was just 100% in the game then. I suppose that settles um, the nerves, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. But I feel like that may have been a bit of a um, disadvantage in terms of as I got older, I was probably a bit more of a confidence player, um, mm. definitely in the middle ages of, of my career. But as I've got older, I've realised at the end of the day, rugby it is just a game of rugby and you, you do 
you work hard in the week you and you're prepared for the weekend and it's sort of most of the time you know you, you're gonna gonna reap the rewards and in 2011 you were signed for Cardiff Blues so you were going to go make your professional 15 debut and then the year later you were so you, that was domestic professional rugby then the year later you were picked to play professional rugby for Wales and then the year later you're in the Lions squad that is a serious escalation in a, such a small amount of time how did you cope with the, the, those pressures in such a short amount of time um, um, or do you not have time to even you, comprehend you, it, it? it was quite it, it happens so quickly because I remember playing that seventh tournament in Dubai in South Africa in 2009 I got back on the Sunday had a phone call on the Monday from Cardiff Blues who said they wanted to offer me a two-year deal in the academy signed that straight away I did two years of just sort of rehabbing and getting him you know getting into 15 state and then that 2011 World Cup gave me an opportunity as Lee Halfpenny and, and boys like that, you know, were at the World Cup. And they gave me a start against Bath in the preseason game and I scored my first touch and literally every game from then and I played every game. So it was just like, all oh, right, OK, I'll just, you know, just roll into whatever's in front of me. And, and then by the end of that year, 2011, I had my first cap for Wales. So I was like, geez, it's going quite quick, you know, like... I've gone from being just playing seven circuit to having my first cap for Wales, and I guess didn't really have time to think about it. I was just doing what I was doing, and just I was such I was so full of confidence, and uh, just rolled with it. Really. Did you notice any changes from perhaps the approach from the media or your friends, or was it actually all just everyone was just behind you, including the media at that time? Anyway. Um, well, yeah, I think the media were a little bit like you know who's this sort of guy? I was sort of new guy in the block, I guess. You know, it was sort of probably the same when George. I think came on the scene a couple of years before me, but I was living with eight guys in Cardiff in a flat. They really kept me grounded for a couple of years. So, um, but they were big, you know, big Welsh rugby fans, and I don't think I realised really what I was achieving even then. You know, and they were probably thinking that they'd be able to skip the skip the queues at the clubs. Yeah, they were probably <laughs> pretty much jumping on my back a little bit, and you know, getting all these free tickets for the games. But um, like I said, that that the um, the success that the success I had in the start of my career was just phenomenal, really. So you quickly filled that gap on the wing after Shane Williams retired. Uh, you two couldn't really be more different in terms of your 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 size. Um, did you have, did you ever have any like qualms of filling his boots? Even though you know you're much bigger than him, but you know he had such a history as a Welsh player. Was there any pressure on that? Yeah, I guess so. Because growing up, he um, when I was playing a watch rugby, he'd be a player. You know, I'd be like, wow, this bloke is you know unbelievable and. When I turned up to train, I was I was like a rabbit in headlights. Do you know what I mean? I just didn't have a clue what I was doing or where I was going. And I was like in the same room as you know, like Shane Williams and Stephen Jones, but you know James Hook, all these sort of people that you, you've seen on TV, you know, the last couple of years, especially being at uni and um, being involved with Shane's last game and me coming on was you know, that was quite a nice touch. And then obviously him scoring, I guess he sent. I remember uh, he scored that try, last try in that the autumn and. Um, I remember going over, you know, like, well done, and he was like, mate, it's your turn now. I was like, wow, that sort of hit me then. I was like, yeah, you know, this is my chance now. And so I went, I went to an event the other night with James Haskell, and he talked about his England call-up. And it was quite funny because he found out about it on, like, a block email sent to all of them. And, like, you know, it was, it was his personal email, which was quite funny, which I'm not going to say what it was. How did, how did the Wales team approach you in terms of your, your first call-up to be part of the squad? Um, we got a text, just a text was saying, uh, congratulations, you're part of the... Who was it from? It was, it was just a random number. So I was obviously a bit like... 
Hang on, you know, who's, like, who's pranking me? Definitely one of the boys because I remember when I first signed in the academy, it was a, an unknown number, and they said, "Oh yeah, we want to speak to you about Carlos Blues," but I, I had a feeling it was definitely one of the boys, so I didn't really take much of it. And then um, you get loads of emails. Then I was like, "How do these people get my emails?" You know what I mean? but, <laughs> Where do um, they find this stuff? Yeah, then I obviously I realised I was like, "Well, I'm in you know number thirty-one squad man," because um, it was only one game. See, it was a uh, the one-off game, you know, Shane winning his mm. last game. So um, to be involved in the squad was unbelievable. I never thought I'd be involved. Yeah, the emotions you must have felt from that speedy journey that you'd had. Oh, yeah. I think I think maybe the only reason I might have sneaked onto the bench is I think Jonathan Davis pulled out um, that week. So, you know, gave me that opportunity to probably get onto well, the I bench. I suppose in career progression, you've always got to have that luck to an extent. So why not? And you'll yeah, take it where it comes. Exactly. And um, I've always said that in life, you know, if you get your, your chance... The, you don't get many and you just got to take it, go for it, just don't leave anything behind. You had some immense success when you played for Wales, especially in those first few games. You won the Grand Slam and then the next year you followed it up by winning the Six Nations again. At the time, was there a limit to what you could achieve as well as the Wales team? I think, I don't know, I, I was in such a, I was in that roller coaster and it was just going up and up and up because every year it was just getting better and better and better and the squad, I guess, the squad that I was involved in, you know, it was unbelievable that we won back to back Six Nations, one Grand Slam, and we pushed Australia and, you know, all the autumn teams that we played, you know, so close to. We, we won a lot of them and then we lost, you know, last minute and a lot of them. I think we had a great team at that time, very settled. I think they brought that form from the 2011 World Cup, you know, where theoretically Wales, you know, could have been in the final and you never know what could have happened then. So. Um, yeah, it was great to be part of that team. And, you know, I was good mates of, well, we we're all still very good mates, that squad, you know, um, of players. And, like, it's very different now. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess I was just ro- 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 rolling with it and just enjoying all the success that we had as a squad and, and me personally. And then in 2013 on the Lions Tour, you were also the, you know, top joint try scorer on that, on that tour as well in all, in all the games. At this point, you must have been fulfilling your childhood dream. But... Did you ever think that this roller coaster has to plateau at some point? Or were you just thinking every day as it comes and if something happens, it happens? Yeah, I was a little bit like that. I was a bit blasé about it, really. I think I got within two, three years, I accomplished by, you know, I I got to be a British Lion, which was, um, you know, we watched them all over over the years and something, I guess when I started playing rugby that I wanted to, to achieve and um, I managed to do that in such a short period of time but I think maybe it happened so quickly maybe of sort of I think it might have affected my drive in terms of wanting to go again and again and be you know be a better and be a better player better you know person within the squad but I'm, it's hard to say now you know sort of no, of course I suppose it was how high can you set your bar every day yeah I guess I, I got to be a British Lion and um, I didn't play as much in the test as I'd liked other than the first test and I guess which you scored in yeah which which was scored which was um, great memory but I guess that sort of affected me a little bit because I'd been picked you know for the for Wales and and then they got picked for British Lions and I played first test and I got my first sort of you know meeting with uh, Rob Howley and Gatland saying oh we're dropping you this week I was a bit like what do you know what I mean that was the first time in about four years where, or pretty much my whole career, that I've been told that I was dropped. 
I don't think I took that well, really. And what, were, what, were you, what were the emotions going through you? I remember on the Tuesday before the Melbourne test, they said that, oh, we're putting you on the bench. And I was like, I couldn't believe it, really. I was just like, I was still only 23, you know, quite young, and I guess I didn't quite take it as well as I thought, and a bit of a brat, maybe, probably, about it. Um, and then sort of, I guess, the rest of the tour then, it sort of affected myself but see I'm 23 now and I know how I would react if I'd been you know told for the first time that I was getting dropped did you at that point perhaps did you hold that in or did you immediately seek you know advice and uh, support from your family and friends yeah I ran my parents but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I went out to get help in terms of like do you bottle it up then a bit yeah right? I probably did um because I was I was pissed off do you know what I mean um I don't know if I can say that but yeah that's fine um yeah, I was, you know, I was angry, I was upset because I felt like I played really well in that first test and even speaking to Gatlin after the tour, he said that was his, one of his biggest regrets and that didn't really help, you know, but I appreciate him saying that. But, um, yeah, it was just one of those sort of things that probably affected me more than I thought at the time. Well, I suppose you got more success when you turned up at the 2015 Rugby World Cup, which it, it was a great, great start, but then sadly you went out in the quarterfinals. And I have heard you say before that you couldn't face doing a lap of the pitch with the team because you felt you blamed yourself for what happened. Why was that? Yeah, just I think, like I said, it's I, I was taking things way more personally than I thought and I was very, very critical of my game at that point. I reckon around well, 2014 was okay. You know, I had a great tour in, in uh, South Africa and I was absolutely buzzing going into the World Cup and... I guess I was getting a bit more critical. I felt like that World Cup was a, was a big one for me in you know, sort of terms of being a leader, sort of stepping up and hopefully showing you know again what I was doing from the lines that period of time and didn't quite didn't quite sort of go as I was planned, I guess. And and we lost in the last minute. I remember jamming in off a scrum and Vermeulen just threw an unbelievable offload right behind my back and I could see it now. And um, Dupree scored in the corner, and I literally had no energy left. It was like the eight, 79th minute or something, and they scored in the corner. We lost, and I guess theoretically you, you blame yourself, and I did. But when I look back, I, I don't think I could have done any more. You know, there was no, I wasn't defending anyone else, and I've gone through it a hundred, hundred times. You know what I mean about it? But now I'm old enough to sort of review it. It was just a, a game of rugby and day, and I, that I made that decision, and it happens, and. So I've got to live with that. That's interesting you said that. Some of the guys that have come on the podcast as well have just said, yes, it is our profession, but at the end of the day, it is just a game of rugby. And whilst it is there to be you know, competitive, it is, you've got to enjoy it at the end of the day. And looking back on it, you, know, you can have regrets, but you've got to sometimes just move on and just think that is the hardest I tried. Exactly, yeah. It, it, what, what happened happened. I guess I feel like I maybe should have tried to enjoy it a little bit more over, over that World Cup because... Being at home as well, I think you know we had a great opportunity and to do well. And obviously, we didn't have the luck in terms of the amount of injuries, injuries we had. And I ended up playing every game with you know quite a bit of a niggle on my knee, and not an excuse, but you know it was a, it was a tough old World Cup that was, even though it was at home. It started getting to at this point where even Patriots of Wales became a little bit vocal and started criticising you on social media. Did this? How did this leave you feeling? Did you feel insecure about it? Because I know at first you didn't, weren't fully aware of the extent of what was happening. But when you started finding out maybe a little bit more detail, how did that make you feel? Um, yeah, I guess this is where social media has its downfalls. Um, I definitely read 
way too much stuff that I probably should never have read, um, um, read. And I guess that sort of affected me then in terms of not really, you know, I, I was going into games of rugby where I didn't, I didn't enjoy it at all. I wasn't enjoying going to training. And then it was affecting me at home. Do you know what I mean? It was just... And then I knew it was quite bad when um, my mates would text me saying, oh, you're all right. And I was like, what do you mean? Because, oh, like, you know, in terms of the, the social uh, media frenzy that, that people had on, on, uh, online. But, and then I got to a point, I think, where I just like, that's sad enough. So I got, I deleted Twitter. I blocked everything on um, Instagram. And I just sort of took myself away from it. And then gradually then I started building myself back up with, um, with a bit of help. And, you know, I just started enjoying rugby then. And that's when I sort of guess I made the decision to, to leave Cardiff and, and Wales and, and pursue, you know, a career elsewhere. So just coming up, we'll come back on to your, your departure from Cardiff in a bit. So, but what's your approach to social media today? And I suppose also, you know, before important games and tournaments, because obviously you're back on it now, you've, you've found your feet again and, you know, playing some of the best rugby you can. But what's, what's that approach to social media and how does it affect you now? I think it's, I, I think it was a good saying that like one of the boys said, you, when you play, you read the good stuff when you play well, but then you, you never read the bad stuff when you, you know, don't read the good stuff when you play well, really, I guess. And then, because then you automatically just think if you play bad, you have to read that as well. I think sort of, so I got into a situation where after games, if I didn't feel like I played quite well, I wouldn't go on social media. But now I'm just like, I've got to a point where, then the day, like I said earlier, at the end of the day, it is a game of rugby. If I haven't played that well, I haven't played that well. It's just one of those things, you know. I can imagine footballers going through, you know, 10 times worse. And I think there's things going on, especially in my life now at the moment, that are way more important sometimes than me just worrying about what someone said uh, to me on social media. Because I had instances where I, I was reading things and people were slagging me off or saying, you know, can you remember and anything specific? I had a few. Um, I had a few. I remember I had a few Facebook messages. Whether these guys were, were drunk and stuff, they were like, "Ah, oh, you know, go kill yourself and stuff like this." But I think this, I think the drink was talking most of the time. But that's not nice to hear, you know. After especially when you know you you're trying to figure out, you know, you, you knew you knew you had a bad game, but you're getting things like this. But. It's, yeah, it's quite hard to explain really, when you do see sort of comments like that. I just don't think people realise the weight that something like that can actually have on, on somebody, especially when they're in the public eye and the, the weight and effect that such a, an easy message for someone to write that takes 10 seconds, but the, the weight that that has and carries you know, on your mind thereafter is just crazy. And I just don't think people understand how severe it is. It, it's, it's way more severe than people think. I think you, you, even if you could be one of the strongest mentally tough people but I'll tell you now a comment like that you, you, it's quite hard to get out of your head for a while and um, for someone just to take you know 10 seconds to say that it certainly affects you and not only does it affect me but like say in the public eye on Twitter my I got family you know that family would read that and you can imagine they're going to be way sort of on worse than what I was probably feeling and, and then once I find out they've read that then that makes me even worse do you know what I mean that it was a sort of spiral for a year or so and I literally wanted to just get out of rugby at that time. I, I remember saying, I, I don't know if I can, you know, I remember saying to um, the Warren and the coaches that, you know, I've had enough. I, you know, I want to just quit Where's rugby. That was what I was thinking at that time. And it, you just get in that hole and it's very, very hard to get out. So you deleted social media then. So what was it that kept you involved in the sport? Was this, was this around the time when you wanted to move? 
Um, yeah, I, I wanted to move a couple of times actually from Wales, but I was in um, I was in a situation with Cardiff where it just wasn't possible, and um, I just wasn't enjoying my rugby. We had a, a, quite a lot of new coaches coming in at Cardiff. We weren't settled as a as a club side, and I guess my rugby at the club side was sort of get, was was going you know spiraling downhill, and that really sort of went over to my international career, and that really affected that as well. Then. So in 2018, you made that shift. Finally, I suppose you were allowed to leave Cardiff and you got hooked, signed by Exeter Chiefs. And you've said before that you obviously did want to get out of Wales and you just said it then. But what was it that you wanted to seek by leaving? Was it the new opportunity, a new team, a new set of players, a new coaching staff? What was it that made you think that this is the next opportunity for you? I said it before, I, I definitely needed a new challenge, um, which, I, which I got. And I guess, I think I just wanted to get out of Wales. Was it the change of scenery that kind of may have, you thought might affect that mental approach to rugby? Yeah, I think so. I just wanted to get out of that bubble where I was in the middle, I lived in the middle of Cardiff. And like, I remember being, after some Wales games, I was, I didn't want to go to the shops. I mean, I didn't want to be seen. I just wanted to be in the house, close the curtains and just ignore everyone. And I guess I had that opportunity when Rob, I spoke to Rob and Ali to come to the Premiership, and I just went bang, grabbed it straight away, and um, I'm loving every every bit of it, and I'm enjoying my rugby. Got a great family, loving it. You know, a great set of boys down here that I enjoy being with, and I'm I'm loving every minute. Hi everybody, sorry to interrupt the podcast. Just a quick word from our two sponsors. Headstrong is very fortunate to have found two amazing sponsors and supporters for Season 2 of Headstrong, the Rugby World Cup Special, forming a brilliant partnership between Headstrong, our chosen charity Restart Rugby, and themselves. They cover between them all aspects of global insurance and both have strong historical ties to the wider rugby and well-being communities. Ascot Group is a Bermuda domiciled global specialist in insurance and reinsurance. Built on a foundation of underwriting expertise, but with a culture of collaboration, dedication, empowerment and accountability that is the fabric of the company. Their integrity is reinforced by a strong track record and dedication to clients, brokers and partners. For more information on Ascot Group, visit www.ascotgroup.com. BMS are an entrepreneurial, agile, specialist insurance and reinsurance broker that prides itself on their reputation for exceptional client service and position as one of the leading global brokers. For more information on BMS, visit www.bmsgroup.com. Now, back to the podcast. You know when you signed for Exeter, you were aware of the rules that you were 13 caps short to play international rugby again, being outside of Wales. At that time, and looking back at that decision, do you think it was the right decision for your career? Yeah, definitely. I think um, it didn't. That I remember when chatting to Rob and Ali, and they said, you know, you know, if you do come down here, you know, you're going to sacrifice your Wales um, ambitions. And I was like, I'm happy. You know, I was happy to. I was really looking forward to the challenge that the ex had in the Premiership and. It was just something I needed at the time. Me and my partner, you know, we've made a great decision here and I'm, I'm loving every minute. And obviously I'd love to be playing for Wales again, but I got over the fact that I wasn't quite a while ago and I probably never will. So, and I know some boys, I spoke to Jamie, I don't think he's quite going to understand until he literally retires about, you know, not being able to play for Wales again. Whereas I came to that decision, you know, quite, not quickly, but, you know, I'm, 
hence why I made the move here. I'm, you know, I made it, and I'm, I've stuck to it. It's so tough that it's just a it's a rule and that can't make you play because obviously you're so physically able and capable of still playing for it. You just you know it's the laws of the game that are restricting you from getting out there on the pitch. Yeah, obviously it's quite it's um, I guess it's a frustrating rule for some. You know, like people like Reese Webb and, and and whatnot. But for me, it was that that wasn't a factor and. Um, I just really wanted a new environment and this was a perfect example really and I couldn't I literally would tell boys from Wales to maybe try it uh, as well and just a new environment new club and especially this league you know it's an awesome league and and it's definitely worth uh, that jump well the shift now as well exactly you're playing some like some of your best rugby that you've ever played and I bet you feel like you've matured from the shift because you probably got so comfortable at Cardiff and obviously last season was was very successful for Exeter and you but what are your kind of future plans um, with Exeter? And do you see yourself playing for Wales again? Do you think those rules are going to change? I'm not sure. I know they've got a new coaching um, team place and the rules. They may, you know, they may talk about it and change it. But for me, I'm just 100% Exeter chief at the moment. And um, we've, got our, you know, we've got our goals of, of getting one back over on Saracens with that, the league and... I think European Cup this year is going to be a big one for us, and you know we're really going to go for that, which is exciting. And um, you know we got a great team, and on our day we, we can beat any team, and I think um, that's exciting. And it's, you know we just want to get on uh, with the season. Well, as we sit here, yeah, we are we're just getting to the start of the season. I just wanted to ask you about your preparation and your pre-season. Do you kind of operate a, a fail to prepare, prepare to fail mentality? Can you kind of briefly share your physical and mental preparation leading into the new season and perhaps, you know, before each game? Um, in pre-season, I just go, because we do blocks of four, four weeks and at the start of them, I just tell myself, just go as hard as you can for as long as you can because in sessions, that's the sort of the goal that they, they say in the sessions, you go as hard as you can and if you can't go anymore, we'll pull you out and... And then obviously then it just filters down to the youngsters and it just ups everyone at another level. Um, obviously this, this pre-season is a very, very long one, which is quite hard to, I guess, and physically. A hot, and a hot one. And a hot one, yeah. Um, it's probably more mentally really, you know, just turning up every day and giving it 100%, knowing that you're absolutely, you know, shattered. And, but you reap the rewards when you're playing in the middle of June, which is when the final is. Um, these are the sort of sessions that the boys had today, which one of the toughest sessions the boys said they had and they're the ones that you put in the bank for those sort of big occasions. Is the downtime really important for you as well? Coming off the training field and having your own time to kind of recuperate and prepare not only for the next day but you know for the upcoming game weeks and stuff? Oh yeah definitely. Um, I come back just chill out you know go take my dog for a walk just completely get away from that environment um, just completely switch off rugby like I probably won't watch any rugby over the weekend obviously unless I'm involved um, or the boys are playing. But I try and get away from it and just just recover from Monday and just try and get back to 100%. As if any rugby player is 100%, I'd be very surprised. But, yeah, you know, near, near to it for the training week again on Monday and you just start again and you get in that routine then of, you know, preparing for every Monday and then it builds up to the Saturday. So this series of Headstrong is obviously a Rugby World Cup special. I've got to ask you the question, who is going to win the World Cup this year? Who's going to win the World Cup? Obviously, I think Wales have got a great chance. Um, if they can beat Australia, I think they've got a great run. 
Um, if they don't, they could have a str- uh, England actually in the quarter final, which would be a great game. But I think I think New Zealand may be a bit too strong for for a lot of these teams, and I think they'll win it. Three in a row, you reckon? Yeah, I guess they're probably going to be one of the greatest te- ever teams, aren't they? And they're mm. probably you know another World Cup for them probably. So I always ask these final two questions to every one of my guests. The first one being. What piece of advice would you give to your younger self or indeed any other young adults that you've held on in your own career in life? I think keep, I wish I set myself goals even when I hit the top, when I thought I was at the top. You're never at the top. That's one thing I wish I sort of told myself as a youngster, you know, prepare to be, you know, prepare to be better every time. You can always be better. Um, that's one advice I, I would give to my younger self, but... Um, you know, I've come to terms with it and I'm, I'm loving life but that would be one bit of advice never 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 stay on your laurels really you know always always prepare and always I guess always just strive to be better there's nothing you're not you're, not, you're never at the top you're never at the top which is um, where while you see all these top players or like, you know people like Owen Farrell Dan Carter all these players they're always you know they're one step ahead because they know they've got to be better than the next time and my final question is, what does the word headstrong mean to you? Headstrong, to me, means mentally resol- just resilient, I think, in terms of what's thrown at you, whether it's from social media, uh, fans, um, your family, or even what you're thinking in your head yourself. You know, you, we always have doubts, but at the end of the day, just go for it 100%. And headstrong is, I, think, I feel like that's probably a good typical word for it. That's great. Just before we finish, do you want to just quickly explain what your new app is about and just tell us what, what you know, Alex Cuthbert is going to be doing apart from rugby? Apart from rugby, yeah. Obviously, we've set up the company called FitApp. Um, it's a sort of comparison site for uh, fitness, health and well-being uh, where we sort of filter down in terms of gyms, uh, football, golf, any sort of classes or anything to do with fitness and, and well, health and well-being. Um, it has all the information on this app um, you know that can help you strive in your day, day-to-day life really well you heard it here guys go check it out alex thank you so much for your time especially during pre-season i wish you all the best for this season wish x to all the best being a fellow graduate of x university you know spending my time down here love going to watch the chiefs so best of luck with the season and thanks so much for your time no worries thank you very much well that is it for episode two in this second series of headstrong i really hope you enjoyed this episode with alex cuthbert I just want to say a huge thank you to him for being so welcoming and such a such a nice man. I've really enjoyed our, our chat together and I really had a great time with him. And I wish him all the best in his second season at Exeter, of course, and hopefully we will see him in a Welsh shirt again one day. If you enjoyed this episode, as always, please do share it with your family and friends. Please subscribe to it on all the streaming platforms and also rate it. And obviously, the more listeners, the better. It's so great to keep spreading the word and creating this interest for Restart Rugby and Headstrong. Also, on this second series, I've got all of my guests to sign some Rugby World Cup memorabilia. So if you want to get a chance to win one of these amazing items, please go check out our social media pages where I am sharing all the information on that. I've also got a few other special guests who've signed it, including James Haskell, Danny Cipriani as well. This week as well, there is a bonus episode out with Rugby World Cup winner from 2003, Will Greenwood. So go check that out. Thanks so much. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Now I'm going to hand over to Damien Hopley to tell you all about Restart Rugby. My name is Damien Hopley, Group Chief Executive of the Rugby Players Association. Restart is the official charity of the RPA, 
and the charity provides crucial support to current and former professional rugby players suffering from serious injury, illness or hardship. Since 2005, Restart has invested over £1.7 million into player welfare and support by funding medical treatment, rehabilitation or disability support, financial support and emotional support by providing a 24-7 confidential counselling service and we're the only body in English rugby that invests in mental health support. One in four people in the UK will be affected by mental illness in any year. Rugby players are no exception and often the pressures and strains that act as a catalyst to mental health issues are magnified for professional athletes. Players often find it difficult to cope with the transition out of rugby and the reality is that over 60% of players reported mental health issues post-retirement and over 50% of players take two years or longer to be in control of their lives post-rugby. In 2008, the Rugby Players Association and Restart launched a 24-7 telephone helpline and counselling service to provide vital mental health support to those players and families that were facing struggles. 42 current and former players accessed the confidential counselling last year. More than 140 players have accessed the counselling service over the past three seasons. Every year, Restart spends up to £60,000 on our confidential counselling service to help support our players. Without support from donors and fundraisers, Restart would simply not be able to continue this vital support for our players. Sadly, these mental health issues can lead to devastating consequences. Suicide is the biggest killer of men under 45 in the UK, and rugby players are not immune. It's great to see the players talking more openly about their mental health struggles within rugby and after they finish playing. Thank you for all your support towards Restart. Without people like yourselves, we could not help players and their families in the way that we do. So thank you all very much. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.